You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. We continue our short summer of psalms with just a a magnificent psalm uh, today, Psalm 139. Uh, It'll be on the screens. It's also in your Bible, and it's also online. Let us hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is is so high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wing of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance and your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty (laughs) to me are your thoughts, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them They are more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I I count them as my enemies. Search me, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. (laughs) If I buy cookies and place them in the pantry within Robert's reach, I know what's going to happen. I don't have to announce that we bought cookies at the store. I know it's only a matter of time before you start to hear the pantry door. And then the rustling of paper. 
And then soon I'll see him in the living room with both hands filled with cookies and with with cookie already in his mouth, right? It won't take long. Does that mean that I can tell the future? No, I don't think so. It just means that I know my son better than he knows himself. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. As Psalm 1 and 39 begins. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And the good news is that God still bothers to be our God. Even after knowing us. Even before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Some may ask then, well, what's the point? If God knows everything we're going to say, then what's the point of it all? It's a fair question. How much does God know anyway? The quick answer is, more than we do. (laughs) If God knows what our prayers will be, why, why does God listen? Well, do you have a favorite song? Do you have a song that when it comes on the radio, you can't help but turn it up? You don't turn it off because you know how the song's going to end. No, you listen to it because because it brings you joy. It, 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 It floods you with memories. Whether that is a favorite song or a favorite book or a favorite movie, just because you know the ending doesn't mean you don't ever watch it again. And the same is true with our prayers. God knows the words that are on our tongue and God bothers to listen anyway because God loves us and God wants to be in relationship with us. Me telling my wife I love you is not a communication of fact. It's an investment in relationship. God knows our prayers and chooses to sit and listen anyway because God is fundamentally invested in you. You know when I sit down and when I rise up how amazingly mundane is that you know when I get up and you know when I get down you might think that that God might notice the times when we um, you know reimagine public education or or solve world hunger or uh, get a gold medal at the Olympics all good things but this psalm is talking about those mundane everyday moments how, how God recognizes us in between our breaths, like when we're doing the dishes or or wrapping up the work week or dusting the pictures on the mantle. I've always said that you are in a good place when you recognize God's presence at 2.30 on a Tuesday afternoon. It's easy on a Sunday morning. It's easy in a small group. It's easy Wednesday night connections or while we're on a mission trip or while we're gathering together flood buckets to recognize God's activity in the world, but those moments in between our breaths, Lord, you know when I rise up and you know when I lie down, God is a God of the small stuff too. And thank God for it. The first six verses of this psalm remind us of God's presence and God's knowledge, rather, God, God's, God's uh, vast understanding of us and the universe and how, how, what does it say? It ends with such knowledge is too wonderful 
For me, it is so high I cannot attain it. The next six verses reveals God's unlimited presence with us. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol in the depths of the earth, the Sheol, which is the, the, the uh, land of the dead according to the Hebrew faith, if I make my bed in the land of the dead, you are, you are there. If I take wings in the morning and settle the farthest limits of the sea, and understand in, in Hebrew poetry, the sea is, it stands for chaos. It stands for the unknown. Even when I go out into the unknown, you are already there. Your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. It's easy, it's easy to miss the scandal of what this poet is saying. You are there at the top of the mountain. You are there in the valley. You are there in the midst of chaos out there. You are in the midst of the unknown. And the one place the poet doesn't mention is the temple. How odd for a Hebrew poet to not say when I come into your courts, I'd rather have a thousand, uh, I'd rather be in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere, right? It's a bit scandalous for him to mention all of these places where God is and doesn't bother to mention the temple. It's not that the poet doesn't think that God doesn't reside in the temple, but he's making a point because we, we, love, we love walls. We love to box things. Imagine, imagine a Christian poet saying, I am with God and I know Christ in the woods and while I'm fishing and I know Christ while I'm at work, but never mentions his local church. <laughs> it's a bit scandalous. The poet is pushing back on our notion of our love of walls. <laughs> we love walls. We love barriers. We love things to be set and, and fixed. Borders. And borders are important. They help us understand who we are, who we are not, where we need to be, where we don't need to be until they are taken too far. And we think that God only exists on one side of the border and not, not the other, whether that border is nation or denomination or language or, or creed or, or maybe even the walls that we have built around ourselves, our own protective barrier. Can we with the psalmist also proclaim the scandal of God's unbound presence? I'd love to say that God only exists at Asbury United Methodist Church, but I'd be lying to you. If I ascend to heaven, you are there in the best of times. If I make my bed in the depths of the earth, if I hit rock bottom, you're there. When my soul leaps for joy, you are there. When my heart breaks, your heart breaks as well. Where can I go where you are not? As much as I might like to try. A God who is all-knowing and a God who is all-present really isn't enough, is it? If God happened to be angry or vengeful or a monstrous God, knowing that God is everywhere might be terrifying, which is why the psalmist continues. The next few verses of the psalm reveals that God is all-creative. God has taken the time to write into our DNA, a presence and a thumbprint of the divine. You knit me in my mother's womb. 
I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The more you know about a painter, the easier it is to recognize who made the brushstrokes. The more you know of an artist or a musician, the easier it is to understand and recognize his or her music. The more you know of an architect, the more you know of their style. The more we grow closer to God, the closer we grow to God, the easier it is to recognize the divine presence within us and likewise the divine presence within each other. You know, I've often talked about grace as being the greatest gift when it's given to you, but it's also the toughest pill in all of the world to swallow when it's given to someone you don't think deserves it. (laughs) If I am fearfully and wonderfully made, guess who also is fearfully and wonderfully made? The person sitting next to you. (laughs) And even the person you don't like, they're fearfully and wonderfully made too. Now, we don't all share the image of God in the ways that we should. I hope this won't be news to you, but we mess up as human beings by the things we do and the things that we don't do, the things we have left undone, the ways in which we have turned our back on one another, and and frankly, when we don't listen to God's call. We do mar this image that has been gifted to all of us, which is why every day we are calling to be in the presence of God, to confess, to hear pardon, But also the first step of that is recognizing that you are wonderful. And so is your neighbor. And what a world it would be if we just held on to that. Fearfully and wonderfully made. We have a God who is all-knowing, a God who is all-powerful, a God who is everywhere, but also a God who is all-creative writing into our very being the divine presence. In other words, we have a God who is not just welcoming. Having a welcoming God is not enough. And we don't have a God who is an inviting God. Having an inviting God is not enough. We have a God who chooses to be our companion. You'll hear more about this in September. But in short, a welcoming God means that the doors are open. An inviting God means that the doors are open and there is a place for you. But a companion God means that the doors are open, there is a place for you, and that place is next to God. God is with you, walking with If you want to be Methodist about it, it's provenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. Provenient grace means that the doors are open. Justifying grace means the doors are open. The doors are open and Jesus has made a place for you through Christ's work in his life, death, suffering, and resurrection. Sanctifying grace means the doors are open, there is a place for you, and God is with you, sitting next to you breaking bread with you. That's what companion literally means. It means to break bread with. Yeah? And the church should follow suit. It is not enough for a church to be a welcoming church where the doors are open. It's not enough for the church to be an inviting church where the doors are open and we also leave space for you in the pew. Churches should be companions. The doors open, there's a place for you, and we will walk with you through faith. My, what the world would look like if churches understood their role as companion 
to all of our brothers and sisters in the world. That's mighty fine, preacher, to have such a lovely picture of the church, but preacher, did you read the end of the psalm? (laughs) Oh, that you would kill the wicked, oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lifted themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. It is important to note that the psalmist doesn't say, I hate those whom you hate. It says, I hate those who hate you. It's almost as if the psalmist forgets himself. Gracious God, you are, you are amazing. You, you, I can't go anywhere from your presence and, and you are grateful and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and I can't flee anywhere from your presence and, and I just can't understand your thoughts and I just can't understand how people don't understand that and I just don't get why people don't see how magnificent you are and I don't understand how people don't understand you the way that I do and it angers me that they don't know you the way that I do and But then the psalmist takes a breath, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, and know my thoughts. It doesn't say test them, search them, make sure they are right. The psalmist takes a breath and says, Search me. I got a little mad at the end of the psalm. Let me take a breath. Search me, Lord. Test me, Lord. See if there is any wicked way in me. Remember a couple weeks ago I talked about how I went to the Holy Land. Susan's going to the Holy Land uh, on that January trip. So if you want to hang out with Susan uh, in Jerusalem, sign up for the trip. It's going to be fantastic. Remember a couple of weeks ago I was saying I was at the Holy Land and I was at the Wailing, or the, not the Wailing, the Western Wall. Don't, don't, don't go over there and call it the Wailing Wall. Western Wall, okay? Pardon me for the Freudian slip. I was at the Western Wall and I was praying, right, for my friends and family and I kept seeing the images of people that I, did, that I disagreed with, right? No, Lord, I'm praying for my friends. And I kept seeing the images of people I didn't like and finally I changed my prayer, right? And the Lord, may they see the... May they see the gospel. May they understand the clear as day the Lord said back, they're not the ones at the wall. You are. I'm going to transform your heart. That's where the psalmist ends. He gets riled up. Remember, the psalms are honest, right? It talks about the magnificence of God, but then there's this great humanness that comes out. Oh, Lord, I hate those other people. They don't understand God the way that I understand you. Oh, Lord, they make me mad. But then, but then, I wonder, if, I wonder if the psalmist had that same kind of experience. Oh, I hate them, Lord. Well, well, then why don't I work on transforming your heart? Because you're the one writing the psalm. Search me. Test me. That's where that work begins, is here. God is all-knowing. 
God knows us better than we know ourselves and still chooses to be our God. God is everywhere, not just within the walls of a church, but out there in the heights and the depths and in the unknown places of the world. And God is also, if you want a big fancy word, omnificent, which means all creative. God's creativity is never exhausted. It is written in our own DNA. The thumbprint of the creator is the source of the engine that can transform the world. God is not finished with us. And for that, I'm thankful. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you who knows even this prayer, before I pray it, we ask for your grace, we ask for your mercy, we also ask for the fire to go out into the world to see the face of Christ in all we meet. Search us, Father. Know us, Father. May our soul be enriched by your presence so that we might love neighbor well. For your omniscience, for your omnipotence, for you being omnipresent and also for your omnificence, we give our thanks. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.